as the, uh, as the offering plates are making their way around. Are there any children in the house today? Children, if, even if you're busy with us, you can head. Do you want to head downstairs for our children's church program? We're going to head downstairs. So if you make your way to the back of the uh, back of the sanctuary, there, Miss Michelle's back there. Miss Joy's coming, and they're going to take you downstairs for a great morning as they continue uh, their second week of children's church study on being a disciple. Ironically, and aligned perfectly. It's the same topic we're talking about in Big Church. We launched last week uh, the series called Disciple to be a real follower of Jesus. And uh, we're going to continue that this morning. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Living Way. We're glad that you're here with us. We hope that you make your stay uh, like you just get really comfortable here because we want you to be a part of our family. We value family. We value family from all the way down to the newest born of 10 days to the oldest of, I'm not even going to guess. But we love family and we want everyone apart. So if you're visiting with us, please make yourselves feel like you're a part of our family. And I hope that you enjoy your morning with us. But we're talking about this idea of disciple, to be a real follower of Jesus. I've found in the church that we've used this word disciple a lot. Um, we really know this word disciple when we think of the 12 guys that Jesus called in the New Testament in the Gospels to follow him. And they, we call them the disciples. Uh, we hear this term. And I really am hoping that when we finish this three weeks or four weeks, sorry, series, that we really understand what it means in this day and age today in the church in 2015, what it means to be a disciple, a real follower of of Jesus, Because when we define the word disciple, it means to be a student or a pupil or an apprentice, that you're not the teacher, but you're in fact learning something. And I'm hoping that we can see that, that if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, that we're not the teacher, that we're actually the student, that we're actually learning from Him, the Master. We're learning from Jesus who we're following, who we're mimicking our life after, who we're getting as close to understanding as possible. And I said last week, if we want to be a real follower of Jesus, then we have to know who He is. We have to know what His heart breaks for. We have to know how He would speak, how He speaks, and who He is to really understand what it means to be a disciple. We believe as a church that the mission of all churches is to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus. And if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then you become a real follower of Jesus. You become a disciple that you actually become someone who is living out what Jesus has called us to do. So we want to kind of look at what that looks like. We want to kind of wrestle through what that means. This whole series is built on this verse found in Acts chapter 2. It's built on this verse that says, they, who's they? We talked about it last week. It's the early church. It's the people who at this point after hearing Peter preach, gave their hearts to Jesus. They got saved and they were born again. And that's they, 3,000. Whoa, that's scary. Sorry, 3,000. They, the 3,000 devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the word of God. They listened to the apostles, those who walked with Jesus and were telling them the stories of what he taught them because they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. But they, they understood and listened to the word of God and to the fellowship, meaning the gathering of people. We're going to talk about that this morning. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. That these markers are key markers for us to become disciples, for us to really understand being a disciple, a true and real follower of Jesus here and now in 2015. Last week we talked about discipleship, the word that we throw around, the word that we talk about, but, but we talked about what discipleship actually is, what it means, because sometimes we get stuck in the idea and we don't necessarily understand it fully. We talked about the fact that discipleship is not automatic. Just because you go to church doesn't put you into this development and growing in discipleship. Just because you are a Christian doesn't automatically make you a disciple, doesn't automatically make you uh, growing in discipleship, in spiritual growth. It's not automatic, but it takes work. 
that we actually have to do something. We actually have to be intentional about reading the Word, about seeking God, about finding a way to connect with Him, not just church, but on a bigger level. And this week I want to talk to you about doing life together, or fellowship. It's kind of one of those um, overused words, I think, in the church. It's one of those terms that we throw around, and, and please don't get mad at me for saying this, because uh, I've been challenged on this. I think it, it, it's become this word that we just use to um, maybe allow us to do some things. It becomes this word that we just throw around without meaning. We just say, yeah, yeah, it's fellowship. It's all fellowship. It's fellowship. It's fellowship. But do we really understand what it means? I mean, when we read that the uh, 3,000 that got saved in the early church, just starting the early church, there's more after that, that they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, does that, uh, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? And I hope this morning that as we journey through this discussion, that we can understand the true meaning of fellowship and why we need fellowship, why we need relationships, authentic relationships in our lives, why they're so significant, why they're so important in this idea of fellowship. What does it mean for us here and now? So let's let's dig into our conversation. What is fellowship? If you have your insert, you can begin to fill in the blanks if you'd like to follow along. What is fellowship? What is fellowship? I think if we're not careful, then we quickly begin to define fellowship by what we think and see in most churches. Um, and I've been guilty of this too. So this is, not, this is not me. I've been in this process. If we look at most churches and what they define fellowship as, they would define fellowship kind of as that, um, you know, when we get together and drink coffee and eat donuts... Food, yeah, food. We call it fellowship. We want to have food. So, um, and I've been guilty of this. So, so please don't don't get mad at me. But sometimes I think we we um, we want to eat food, and we want to eat lots of food, and we want to have a good time, and that's okay. But we call it fellowship just because we want to eat food because it sounds that much better in the church, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like we're doing something significant. I want to discuss that a little bit this morning because I think that. Coffee and donuts are fantastic. I love drinking a good cup of coffee. And I love eating a good donut. Not a stale donut, but a good donut. I love eating food. I love eating snacks and treats. And, and we design program with food with the intention of gathering people around a table so that they can have this community together. But if we all we do is define fellowship as coffee and donuts... Or food, then I, we've missed the whole point. I think that those are, are important pieces that help get to the idea of true fellowship, but it's much deeper than that. You see, when the author was writing in, in this particular passage in Acts 2 about fellowship, he used this word, and he used the word, and the Greek word is koinonia. He didn't, it wasn't, didn't just say fellowship. I mean, the Greek word that they used was koinonia. There's many points in the New Testament where they use the word koinonia, and we translate it into fellowship. But listen to what the, the definition of this word is. It means an association of close mutual relationship and involvement with one another. So fellowship is not just this koinonia, this word fellowship in Greek, is not just about um, grabbing a coffee and grabbing a donut and saying hi and walking away. And drinking it by yourself and sitting in the corner and eating the donut as fast as you can without putting any crumbs on the floor. But there's more depth to it. It's this close mutual relationship. True fellowship is not this, hi, how you doing, walk away. True fellowship has this close mutual relationship. It has this involvement with each other. That There's more to it than just scratching the surface. There's more to this idea of fellowship than just grabbing our plate of food, which is good, sitting down and just devouring it without saying anything. The, the, the 
definition continues to say, it's an alliance with one another, with another person or group, formal or informal. It's an alliance. It means that you're working together. It's not about this uh, idea that you're isolated on your own. It's this involvement. It means that you're actually getting to know someone. You're actually getting to be involved in their life. That you're actually partnering with them to get to build, to make a point or to a common purpose. As I was studying this word and and trying to wrap my head around it so I could truly understand this idea of fellowship, it says this, that there is an implication of this in this word koinonia that translates into fellowship. There is an implication of this. Intimacy and singleness of purpose. There's this implication that, that this idea of fellowship is about intimacy. Now that's not, this is not the word that our culture translates intimacy to be. This is about a, a depth relationship. This is about significance and in, 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 this is about knowing the person. This is about having that relationship because you're rubbing shoulders with them. Like this is this, is this idea that it's deep. This isn't no, uh, hey, how you doing? Good, okay, good, bye, and walk away. This is, this is a, a depth relationship, singleness of purpose, that you have, this, uh, you have this unified idea of what you're all about in the church. It's a singleness of purpose, that our purpose is to, is to continue to declare who Jesus is, is, to continue to declare that He is our King, and to expand His kingdom that we've been called to do. And we all have the same purpose, and we're unified and working together. There's also the implication of um, trust of one another, that in fellowship we trust one another, that we can talk with one another, that we can share with one another, that we can trust the other person not to walk home and throw it on Facebook and stab us in the back. There's this trust. And there's the sharing of material goods. We read this in Acts chapter 2. That the early church, like they sold their possessions and no one had a need because they were sharing of material goods. This is, this sounds nothing like the idea of fellowship of coffee and donuts. This is a lot deeper. And if we really understand this, I'm, I guarantee you, I'm promising you, it'll change and transform your life. There's an implication, lastly, of this. Harmony rather than hostility. Fellowship, true fellowship, true koinonia as we understand and as we read about in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to fellowship, that it's about harmony rather than hostility. It's not about this tension. It's about peace. It's about harmony. It's about this, this great relationships that are being built. And these are foundational in the church. 3,000 people, pictures, 3,000 people, double the size of Inglehart, dropped in the church in one day. Imagine that just for a second. I mean, I told you I'm crazy enough to believe that the entire town of Inglehart can be saved and be found in a church. Now imagine double that, 3,000 people, the early church. And as they're working through this, we're told that they devoted themselves to fellowship, to koinonia, to this harmony rather than hostility, to the sharing of goods, to trusting one another, to this implication of singleness of purpose and intimacy, that it was a depth, not a coffee and a donut and a how you do it. That there was substance to these relationships. This is important in our lives. This is so important in the church today. Because there's so much isolation, there's so much removing of connection with people. That this point is so valuable. It's why it's a, a huge point of, uh, of emphasis from us. It's why it's a huge value in our discipleship model, authentic relationships. That these relationships, this fellowship, this koinonia can actually change your life when you give yourselves to a group of people when you are there to walk alongside of them. And I want to talk about that this morning. So I would challenge us a little bit on this, that that we change our thinking a little bit, that fellowship 
If we understand it this way, instead of just throwing out the word fellowship, maybe we say it's hanging out, but it's doing life together. Hanging out is kind of that trendy word, I guess. We're hanging out. You know, what, what are you doing? Well, okay, here's what we're doing. Say to your friends, because this, this becomes kind of a christian I think. Say to your, your friends who don't go to church, we're going to have fellowship and see if they understand what you're saying. But say this to them. Say, you know what? We're hanging out, but we're doing life together. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're getting together and we're rubbing shoulders with each other and we're caring for each other and we're looking out for each other and we, are, we have this relationship like that we can talk about stuff together. That's different than a coffee and a donut and a how you doing. Doing life together as I crash, doing life together is so important. Sorry. Doing life together is so important, so significant in our life that we need these relationships. We need them to help us to grow as Christians. So let's talk about this. Why do we need to do life together? Why do we need to do life together? I'm happy to sit at home and read my Bible. I've heard so many teenagers or young adults say these words to me. And I sat in a meeting with a couple of them and they said, You know, Pastor, you don't need to be uh, in church to be a Christian, do you? You don't need to go to a church to be a Christian. And... I have to say to them, well, in some ways you're right, but in a lot of ways you're wrong. To be a Christian, you're right. You don't have to be in a church. I mean, salvation is not about the church. It's just because you come into a church building doesn't mean that you're saved. doesn't mean that you've given your life to Jesus and that you've confessed Him as Lord and Savior and you've become a Christian. Being a Christian is about acknowledging that you've that you of your sin and your shortcoming and that, that Jesus who died on a cross for you, that you've confessed that, that you need Him to transform your life. That's when the moment when you become a Christian. But I say, but you can't be a growing, maturing, developing Christian if you're not in the church. It's not possible. Well, what do you mean it's not possible? Well, you see... When you're in the church, you're rubbing shoulders. When you have authentic relationships with people, you're becoming the church, the early church that we read about that had so much influence, that you're becoming the church and that that is feeding you. You're feeding together on the Word of God. You're sharing with one another. You're helping with one another. You're growing together. That you need the church to be a growing Christian because on your own, all you're going to do is is, is kind of fizzle out. Help me a little more. Okay. And I I heard this and I read this analogy and it made so much sense to me. There's a young boy that came in and sat down with one of his older mentors. And he said, sir, I can't handle the church anymore. I don't even want to be a part of it. I just want to be a Christian, but I don't want to go to church. I, I just don't, I can't handle it. I don't like it. And as they're sitting around the fire, he looked at him and listened. And the boy began to explain more and more why. And as he's explaining, he picks up the, uh, the tongs and reaches into the fire. And he pulls out a coal. And he sets the coal on the fire on the floor right in front of the boy and just sits there and listens. And as this coal comes out of the fire, it's this red, hot, it, it's it's blazing. You can see the heat coming off of it. And as it's sitting there on its own over a short period of time, the redness begins to fade. And it begins to turn black. As the boy's talking and kind of staring at the coal, talking kind of puzzled as to what's happening, the man then turns back and picks up the coal and puts it back in the fire. Guess what happens as soon as it gets back in with all the other coals? begins to turn red again and the boy stopped his conversation and without the man sharing any lesson any words the picture was beginning to be formed in this young boy's heart wait a second i need relationships i need the church because like the coal that's pulled out of the fire it will begin to cool off it'll begin to turn black 
when we isolate ourselves from the church, from these relationships, this is why we need to do life together because we need each other. We're kind of like cold together that we stay on fire. Maybe we have a bad moment or a bad day or maybe we have a bad season, but we're walking along somebody that can walk with us and with God. And that coal heats back up. We need relationships. We need fellowship, koinonia. We need true, authentic relationships or we're just going to fizzle ourselves. We're going to isolate ourselves. And when we need it the most, we're not going to have anybody there to help us. Why do we need to do life together? I'd like to suggest three things. There are two things this morning why we need to do life together. Because I believe this. This is the first one. Doing life together creates moments of encouragement. When you do life together, when we are fellowship, true fellowship, koinonia, we're doing life together. There's moments of encouragement where we, maybe we're not in a good spot. Maybe we're, we're, we're struggling and then, but you're walking along someone that can pick you up, that can encourage you, that can help you move forward. I can't tell you how many times in, in our life groups and, and half, half the people in the life group probably don't even realize how much of an encouragement they are to me. When we sit down in our life groups, and that's why these groups are so important and why we stress them, why we talk about them. Because we sit down and maybe we're having a bad day or a bad week or maybe we've just had a bad season and we get encouragement from the people that we're sitting with. Not a pity party, but encouragement. True encouragement because we're doing life together. We're encouraged because maybe we can't understand a portion of scripture that we're wrestling through and we sit down and somebody has this great insight because God's given, revealed something to them and they share it with us and it encourages us. But if we're not in life together, we never would have gotten that. See, it creates moments of encouragement. We see this in the scriptures. Hebrews 10 says this, and let us not consider how, sorry, and let us consider how we may spur one another on, encourage one another, push one another, help one another towards love and good deeds. And the writer continues to say this, not giving up on meeting together, not giving up on meeting together, not getting up on doing life together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. When we're doing life together, we can encourage one another. We can spur one another on because we're walking alongside of people. We have those relationships that we can encourage, that we can help, that we can help push one another along. But if we don't do life together, as this author's indicating, we aren't able to. You know, don't give up on meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing Because when you do that, then you remove yourself from doing life together, which means that you remove yourself from moments of encouragement when you need it maybe the most. But encourage one another. Spur one another on. And all the day more as you see the day approaching. Ecclesiastes, we read this, and this is so powerful. Two, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Doing life together, you can pick each other up. You can encourage one another. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The person who doesn't want to do life together. Pity the one who falls and doesn't have anyone to help them up because if you fall with someone doing life with you, then they can help encourage you and pick you up. But then it continues with these words. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. One overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There is value and significance in doing life together. It creates moments where you can encourage one another. Maybe it's you encouraging or maybe it's you receiving the encouragement. But doing life together is so vital, so important. Someone once said these words, snowflakes really can't do much damage until there's a whole lot of them and they can stop traffic. And we know about some of those snowflakes in northern Ontario. They become really, really, really big, but it's just a whole lot of them all together. Or a snowflake is is frail, has been said, but enough of them together can stop traffic. 
doing life together. There's moments that create encouragement, but not only that, the second thing I'd suggest to you is this, that doing life together creates moments of accountability. This one is important, but this one's difficult. This is the one that most people, this is probably one of the reasons why most people don't want to do life with other people, because they don't want to have someone hold them accountable. They don't want to have someone ask them the tough question. They don't want to have someone challenge them, because then they get hurt. It's their personal ego that gets kind of hurt. But this is important. Accountability helps us grow. Accountability helps us to move forward and to maybe shake off something that we have grown into the rut of that's really hurting our life. And accountability can help us get out of that rut that can help us to move on because they're not leaving you, they're walking with you and can help you to get back on track or even back to a better place than where you were. Accountability is so important. Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That when you're in relationships together, you help build one another. You help encourage one another. But you also help hold people accountable so that they can maybe walk back in path and where they're supposed to be. I remember when I was pastoring down south, and this wasn't something that, that I wrestled through personally, but I watched the story unfold. Uh, this wasn't something I was involved in either, but I watched it unfold. We had a, a young couple move to the church, and on all outward appearances, it was a married couple. They came into the church, um, three children, talked about my husband and my wife, talked about our children. They, they had this whole journey that they were on together. And from all outward appearances, they were married. When they got into relationships with other people, when they got into life groups, when they got into serving, when they really began to dig into the church, we begin. The, what happened to surface was that they were an engaged couple for nine years and just never got married. Now, there's nothing. We're, we're not saying that there's anything wrong. We approached them, we accepted them, we loved them, and we approached them as they wanted to step into leadership, as they wanted to step into ministry and serving, and just asked, how come? They built relationships with one of the pastors, and he just said, how come? He says, well, you know, the, the guy said, well, you know, I just didn't want to spend the money. Is there anything wrong with that? I mean, I just want to spend the money. That's what he's saying. And they just lived it. And they said, you know what? We felt guilty. We felt bad. We felt challenged. We were convicted. But it wasn't until someone who was doing life with them, walking with them, held them accountable, that they got married. And they said this. They said, when we got married, it was like a weight was lifted off our shoulders. We were free. And we were grateful for the people that were willing to have the conversation. See, that's true fellowship. That's true koinonia. That's true moments of accountability. Not because they were trying to uh, condemn them or push them down or, or kick them out of the church. You know, if you don't get married, you get to... It wasn't that at all. It was, listen, this is what God says. This is how we should operate. What do you think? And I said, you know, we're, we're challenged by it. And they got married. And, they, and it was this great release, this great pressure off of their shoulders. Accountability is about extending grace and love, but also, but also accountability for growth. When you do life together, when you're willing to be in relationships with people, you get to extend this um, grace and love to individuals, but you also then begin to offer accountability for growth, not to condemn, not to say, you know what, what you're doing is wrong and you need to stop this now and if you don't stop, you can get out of the church and then walk away. It's saying, listen, I'm going to have the conversation. We've talked about this before. Have the difficult conversation. I'm going to have the conversation. But you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to walk through it with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to walk through this with you. Listen to these words in Galatians. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone is caught doing something in sin, if they're caught doing something they know they're not supposed to, if they're caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them. You should restore that person, but you need to catch the last word. It's very important. Gently. This is in love and in accountability. Restore them gently. But watch out yourselves, or you also may be tempted, it says, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and, it, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Accountability in relationship. Have that conversation. Walk with them, though. Don't leave them there. That's the best part about true fellowship is that it creates moments of accountability, but you know because it's true and genuine that it has a singleness of purpose. There's this intimacy. There's, this, there's not this hostility that you're actually going to have someone walk with you when they confront you or have the conversation with you. True fellowship is so important. We need to do life together because it creates moments of accountability and it creates moments of encouragement. Okay, 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 but what should doing life together look like? What should it look like? Well, coffee and donuts, you said it's out. I didn't say coffee and donuts were out. I said just coffee and donuts are out. I think that there's a bigger piece to this so you can still have coffee. Here's what it should look like. Here's what it should look like. It should look like the one another commands that we read about in Scripture. It should look like the one another commands. As we do life together, that means, you know what, when we're here in this building, when we're working at work, when we're out and about, that we're doing life together, that we have relationships that we're building so we can rub shoulders and and if we're having a bad day at work, we can talk to somebody or if someone walks past us, you know, uh, at, at, in the evening and they ask you how you're working. It's, it's about doing life wherever you are. But they should look like these one another commands that we read about in the New Testament, that we read about and understand. And it's this idea of one another, one another. Here they are. Love one another. This is what doing life together should look like. Loving one another another. John 13, a new command, Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another. This is a new command, very simple, very easy. Love one another. I know it's difficult, it can be challenging, but love one another. He continues on, as I have loved you, so you must, we could underline that word if we wanted to, must love one another. Here's the new command, love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Wow, this is a key moment in how we can become true followers of Jesus, that we love one another. If you love one another, everyone will know that you are my disciple. Love one another. Actually have genuine care and love for one another. What does that look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, maybe? Patient, kind doesn't hold grudges. That doesn't just apply to marriage relationships, even though we read it at weddings all the time. That applies in the church. When Jesus tells us that we're to love one another, this is a key piece of what doing life together looks like. Loving one another. What else? Let's go on. Don't judge one another. Don't judge one another. That's a good one. This is what doing life together looks like. We should love one another. We shouldn't judge one another. Don't judge one another. We read this in Romans. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, let's love them. It says, instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Don't judge one another because you're loving one another. You're caring for one another. Don't judge one another. Love one another. Don't judge one another. This is what doing life together looks like. It also looks like this. Accept one another. 
accept one another. We're all different, and that's good. I'm glad that there's not another 20 of me. That would be horrible. Seriously, that would be bad. Accept one another. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, Romans talks about. Another, accept one another. So we got to love one another. This is what doing life together looks like. Loving one another. Not judging one another. Accepting one another. Encouraging one another. Encouraging, lifting up, having those conversations, helping people to be lifted up if they've fallen down, spur them on, encouraging one another. First Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. He's our, Paul's already encouraging the church because they're already doing this, but he's encouraging them again. Don't stop doing this. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Here's the most famous one of the one another's of all time. Greet one another. Greet one another. We love one another. We don't judge one another. We accept one another. We encourage one another. And we greet one another. Now, I'm still trying to figure this translation out because this one is a little challenging. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Next Sunday morning when we greet each other, shake hands. Greet one another. It's about this idea that we're actually acknowledging people. We're acknowledging one another. We're greeting one another. This is is customary. Um, It would probably be a little awkward if you walked into this church in particular and, you know, puckered up and gave someone a big smooch on the cheek. European, I was in Turkey and this challenged me because they greet with a, a kiss on each cheek and they all walk around going, kiss? Especially with the North Americans, the white Westerners. Kiss, kiss, kiss. The only English word they know, kiss. It's like, but they kiss on the cheek. It's, it's awkward, but it's this, you know what? We're actually going to acknowledge one another. We're actually going to greet each other. We're not just going to say hi, you know, kind of walk by and go. We're going to greet one another. I mean, that's really what doing life together is, right? Greeting each other. Maybe, maybe the uh, Western 21st century is the, you know, the multiple handshakes, the, like, the pats on the back when you give a hug. It's, just, it's, it's acknowledging each other. Looking each other in the eyes. Greeting each other. Greet with the holy kiss, Paul writes in Romans. We greet each other. So we, we love one another. We don't judge one another. We accept one another. We encourage one another. We greet one another. And lastly, we teach and counsel one another. Now, this word counsel isn't like the counsel, like a counselor type counsel. This is giving advice. This is talking with. This is teaching them. This is speaking with them. Kind of like parent maybe to child. Maybe grandparent to child or grandchild or to child. Maybe spiritual father to spiritual son or daughter. Teach and counsel, Scripture says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish or counsel one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Teaching, counseling. This idea is so big, but so important. The idea of fellowship is not just something that we can throw around so that it sounds good in church and it's acceptable because it's a word used in the Bible. So if we use that word to define something, then we're good. I would love for this church and for us, me included, to get in a place where this fellowship is is, is true biblical fellowship. It's koinonia. It's that we're actually willing to do life together, that we're going to rub shoulders with each other so that we can get to those depth relationships, so that we actually can have value in our conversations that lift us up, value that speak life into us, value that encourage us because we know that one, we love one another, we're not judging one another, that we're accepting one another, that we're greeting one another, that we're encouraging one another, that we're teaching and counseling one another, that we're doing life together, that we're not just saying it, but we're actually doing it. So maybe the big question at the end of the day is this, how? 
How? Because I believe that this is an essential part of us becoming a real follower of Jesus. Jesus took 12 and he spent his life with them. They were in true koinonia, true fellowship, doing life together. We need those relationships. They are essential in our lives as believers. They're essential because they help us grow. They help us to grow, but it also are essential because it gives us opportunity to share as well. So we grow by receiving and we grow by giving. So what do I do? 21st century, 2015, Englehart, Ontario. First off, we take these one another's. But on a very practical note, we find relationships and groups and people that we can grow and do life together. It can be a very uh, organic thing where you, you find a bunch of people that you want to, you know, you, you set up a, um, maybe what your common interest is. You're into uh, boating or being on the water and you just start taking people along with you. That's very practical. The other thing is this. Get involved in life groups. I'm going to echo these words until we launch them in next week. Until we, I'm going to echo them and I'm going to echo them and I'm going to echo them. Life groups are so important in your life. They will help you grow. doesn't matter how old you are. You're, if, you're in, if you're in emerged youth, get plugged into a life group. Be with adults so that they can help you, so that you can help them, so that you can learn together. It's not about this division that only, you know, graduates of high school can be in life group. No, anybody. If you're in high school, you can be in a life group. Get connected to a life group. Get connected so that you can grow together with people. Life groups are this for us. They're smaller settings where we can have opportunities to build relationships so that we can be cared for and that we can care for others. That's the whole idea of life groups. If you uh, are not in a life group, I would challenge you to find a life group and give it a chance. Come on Friday. We're going to have all the groups available. We're going to launch our season of life groups for the fall into the new year. And we are going to just begin to have a great celebration. But come on Friday so you can sign up for a group. So you can be a part of one. So you can find one that fits into your schedule. Maybe it's a Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. But we'll have groups on different nights at different times. Come on Friday so that you can find out where the groups are. So that you can get plugged in. Because these are moments where you can build true Fellowship, true biblical fellowship, koinonia with one another. I close with these words. Jared, if you and the team want to come up, I close with these words. Acts chapter 2. We've read that they, the 3,000 that had been baptized and added to the church, joined with the other believers or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper, and in prayer. But it goes on to say this in verse 44. All the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. Now, the first part of Acts chapter 2.41, says after Peter preached, those who were baptized were added to the church. Add to the church, 3,000 and all. Then those 3,000 decided to devote themselves to these key principles of becoming a real follower of Jesus. And it says that, well, they fellowship, true biblical fellowship. While they were praising God, while they were eating meals, while they're doing all of this stuff, each day, 
the Lord added to their groups those being saved. So not only did He add to the church initially, once the church began to become these relationships, real life together, the Lord added to their groups daily because they were doing life together. They were worshiping God. They were they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, true biblical fellowship, koinonia. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper and they were devoted to prayer. And God not only added to the church initially, but then God began to add to their groups those who were being saved. So here's the challenge this morning. How can you, and this is personal, how can you make a decision to step into and decide to be a part of devoting yourself to true biblical fellowship? Doing life together, loving one another, accepting one another, Encouraging one another, not judging one another, greeting one another, teaching and counseling one another. What step do you need to take? What step do you, as an individual, just you, not what your spouse needs to do, not what your children need to do, but what you, what do you need to do? What step do you need to take? in true biblical fellowship. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the idea that you created of fellowship, that it can exist between a, a child and an adult, that, it, that it's across the board. I love it. And I long for true biblical fellowship. I long for the church to become a place of true koinonia. That like the early church, we're devoted to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the depth of relationships with one another. That we're willing to do life together. That we're willing to accept. That we're willing to love. But we're willing to challenge. That we're willing to greet. That we're willing to teach one another to help them grow and to help us grow. So Father, this morning I pray that you'd stir on our hearts. God, I pray that as we ask ourselves the question, what do we need to do? What do I need to do? Lord, that you would help us, that you would reveal to us, and God, that you would show us. And that we as a church would truly walk in biblical fellowship with one another. So God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this time and for this season. And I pray, God, that you would help us to become disciples, real followers of Jesus, committed to discipleship, committed to doing life together, devoted to one another. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Would you worship as we just lift our voice? We just close with this song. Just to lift our praise. Just to lift our heart. A thousand times I fail. Still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again? Still I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all
purpose remains the art of losing myself in bringing you praise everlasting your light will shine when all else fails never ending your glory goes beyond all my soul I give you control consume me from the inside out Lord let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out everlasting your light will shine when all else fails never ending your glory goes beyond all fame and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside of Lord my soul cries out everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all fame and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the end Side out, Lord, my soul cries out from the end. Side out, Lord, my soul cries out. And the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the end. Side out, Lord, my soul cries out and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the end side out Lord my soul cries out from the end side out Lord my soul cries out Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the time that we've had to be in your presence, to hear your word.